listening to the Talk in Turkey podcast with your host, Nicholas Caldereri, from the studios of Ryerson University in downtown Toronto. Welcome back to the Talk in Turkey podcast. We have a very special guest today, my former boss, the man, the myth, the legend, Tony Marinero. How are you today, Tony? Okay, well, first of all, I was not your boss because a boss is actually someone who pays you and I wasn't paying you. And seeing as a boss is the boss, I have a boss. I have several bosses. I never considered myself a boss. If I was the boss, I'd be able to, I'd take six months off, right? But I don't do that. So I'm not the boss. But thank you for giving me that title. It gives me a greater sense of importance. Someone who I take orders from, I consider yeah. the boss. Okay, I, uh, I guess I'm more the boss at the workplace than I am at home because I take the orders at yeah. home, but yeah. Exactly, Thank so you you're that. not the boss at home. So for many of those who are just listening, they don't have an idea of how you look. you got the blue eyes, you got yeah. the curly hair. Yeah. Well-rounded. Yes. But if can- I was 100 pounds less, I'd be in Hollywood. <laughs> Unfortunately, I'm 100 pounds more, and I'm not in Hollywood. I'm in LaSalle. But 100 pounds less with this hair, the curly black hair, the blue eyes, the uh, the dark complexion, tanned, the Mediterranean look. Uh, I could be in Hollywood, the without Cap- a doubt. DiCaprio-esque, maybe. Yeah, maybe. Maybe. <laughs> so you're a pretty good dancer, such a good dancer that you were on Live with Kelly. Yeah. How was that experience? Was it nervous to dance on national television? No, I am. I'm not uh, nervous by nature, to tell you the truth. So no, I wasn't. Uh, so we were we were in New York with the family for a couple of days. My wife is a huge Kelly Ripa fan, a huge fan of uh, of uh, uh, Anderson Cooper, who was also co-hosting that day. A huge fan of Ryan Seacrest, and uh, I brought up, why don't we go to New York for a couple of days? Because there was the International Champions Cup tour. And the kids wanted to watch some soccer games. So my wife said, you know what? Why don't we go to live with Kelly and Ryan? And I said, no problem. So we worked around it and we uh, put in a request and we got our tickets. But when you get tickets, you're on standby. So you have to show up like real early in the morning. I'm talking about like 6 o'clock for a show that probably starts uh, at around 9 o'clock in the morning. And uh, we were actually, we got in. We were like the last ones to actually get in, luckily, because I would have hated to have been there since 6 o'clock in the morning and not get in. And once we got in, my wife asked the security guard if she could take a picture with Kelly Ripa. And he said, look, I'll try. It's easier for those who are on the floor. But since you guys were at the back of the line, you guys will be at the balcony level. You know, in this case, if you really want to take a picture with her, the best thing to do is actually try and audition for the best dancer. Because the one who ends up winning the best dancer competition ends up getting to spend about a minute or two with Kelly and, and uh, Anderson, who was filling in for Ryan that day. And you'll probably be able to get your picture that way. So then my wife said, oh, I'm the shy type. And then he looked over at me and he looked over at my wife and he said, why don't you get him to do it? And, uh, <laughs> and so uh, I said, no, 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 I don't want to do that. And so before the show started, they asked for a show of hands for people that wanted to try out to be the guest dancer for the show. And I knew that my wife really wanted the picture with uh, with Kelly Ripa and Anderson Cooper. So you know what they say, right? Happy wife, happy, happy life. life. And I figured this would be a great way to start a couple of days in New York to have the wife off on a good... It was actually the end of our vacation, actually. We were leaving right after the show. And I said, you know what? This would be 
the cherry on the Sunday, if I could do this for my wife. So when they asked for a show of hands, I showed my hand. I was very vocal. I was very animated yeah. to make sure that I got chosen. Once I got chosen and we're two men and two women, at that point, uh, I just tried to be uh, as creative yeah. and as imaginative and try to make people laugh as much as possible. And so they went to the audience uh, and the audience went from us four dancers bringing it down to two dancers, myself and another woman. At that point, I chose to bring the creativity and the imagination to an, another Love. level. And luckily, when we went to the... Uh, when we went to the uh, to the uh, people on the stands to applaud yeah. as to who they thought was most deserving, I got a louder applause. And right after that, they dragged me off into the back. They mic'd me up, and the next thing you know, I was I was I was uh, on television probably about five minutes later that, because all that was done off TV. That's unbelievable. Did yeah. these Italian weddings prepare you for that moment? Uh, you know what? I just uh, I, I'm just a little bit crazy in everything I do, type of thing, and especially in the way I dance. So, yeah, I'll tell you this: the second that they chose me. And as part of the top four, I knew I was going to win. There's never a doubt. You're that confident. Hey, I was. I, I knew I would make people laugh. I yeah. knew I would be different. I knew that I would be creative. And if I'm going to play, I play to win. I don't play to lose, Nick. Yeah. I yeah. can tell. No. You're getting the first dance at my wedding. Uh, so my favorite moment from working at the station was yeah. one day when Mike Majore brought in some Mike's rubs, pulled pork. Yeah. With paninis. Mike's barbecue rubs, yes. Yeah. Mike Majore. And while we were on the air. I showed up at his wedding, you know that? Yeah. Okay. Did you play that Nick Ritchie song? Oh, what's his name? Lionel Ritchie. Lionel Ritchie. Yeah, yeah I yeah, said yeah. hello. How can you get Lionel mixed up with <laughs> Nick Ritchie? Yeah. <laughs> I was thinking hockey, I don't know yeah. why. <laughs> yeah, all right. I don't think anyone's ever done that. Uh, and I remember we were on the air, and Melissa, one of the girls in promotions, brought in. Two sand three sandwiches. Yes. For myself, Sean, and Melissa you. Master Giuseppe, yes. Yeah, I can't see her last name. Yeah. And I didn't eat it. Okay. When it, when she first brought it, I was I wasn't even listening to what you were saying, to be honest. And I'm happy you didn't call on me. Okay. Because I would have been speechless. Okay. And then during commercial break, I still had control. Okay. You asked me to look up a stat or something, All right. and I looked okay. it up. But then I don't know what hit me. <laughs> I just – it was looking at me and I just decided to dig into it while yeah. you were talking and uh, have a little clip, a one-minute clip. Okay. We're being served uh, pulled pork sandwiches here in the morning. This is unbelievable. Look at this. Wait, wait. Mike's Rubs. Mike's Rubs Barbecue. Mike Majore serving us pulled pork paninis at 10, 19 a.m. What a fantastic – people say, Tony, you can't lose weight. Yeah, I'm being served pulled pork at 1019. And it's got this this Mike's barbecue sauce on it. And it looks so perfect. I feel like taking a picture of it. What am I going to end up? I'm going to end up eating it, of course. Great show. There's Nick. Somebody's got your back. Tony, be easy on the newcomer. Not too easy, though. Great show. There's Nick. Somebody's got your back. As as he's still, he's still, we're on, we're, we're on air. And he's still eating that Mike's Rubs barbecue pulled pork panini sandwich that he got this morning, like he's going to the, he ate it, like, look, I can eat, obviously, but he ate it like he's going to the electric chair, like he ate it like he hasn't eaten in three days. He ate it so fast, I don't even know how he's going to digest it. And he ate it while we're on air, that if I have to call to him, and I only put him on air once, I could have did it three or four times, and still he would have, like, like this. So 
how was that from your perspective? Was I really that distracting? No, you weren't distracting. When I do my show, there's nothing that really distracts me, to tell you the truth. Uh, but food, food does distract yeah. me uh, because, you know, the, the smell, the aroma and, and whatever. But uh, I, I just, I thought it was kind of embarrassing. Like you were licking your fingers. Yeah. It's like you had never seen food before ever a- in your life type of thing. Now, don't get well, me I wrong. The breakfast. ribs are good, right? And that's usually what it is. You should always have a breakfast before uh before making your way to work. Yeah, I don't know why. Even in high school, I would never yeah. eat breakfast. I would just – because we would have 11 a.m. lunches. So I guess just throughout my life now, I just eat lunch at 11 a.m. Yeah. You're going to find that as you get older, you're just going to want to eat all the time. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe you should look at me though and probably decide it's probably not a good idea. You should probably uh, <laughs> cut down on that. Hey, you have a wife. So happy yeah. life, happy life. It all worked out. You made a a point during that uh, clip where you said it looked like I was eating on the electric chair. Like you were going to the electric chair. You know, like you're going to die. Somebody tells you you're going to die in 10 minutes. And in those 10 minutes, you just want to like eat so that it can last you like the rest of your life and like even after life type of thing. That's what you look like. Yeah. So it it got me thinking, what would be my last meal? Now, I'm going to say mine. Okay. And then we'll go to yours. Yeah. You give your comments on mine. Okay. And then I'll give my comments on yours. So we're going to go... With an appetizer, an entree, and a dessert. Okay. So for my appetizer, I have fried calamari okay. with a spicy mayo. Okay. Can't go wrong with that. Well, unless okay. they overcook the calamari, then it becomes like fish-flavored gum, which okay. is not good. Then the best pasta dish in the world, pasta with rapini and sausage. Okay. The flavor of the sausage, it adds yeah. a nice layer to the pasta. I and got you get it. Your, okay. You get your green starches and protein. And then for dessert, I got the hot fudge brownie on top of an espresso-flavored gelato. Okay. All right. So uh, my favorite appetizer is actually eggplant shaped like a meatball, but it is eggplant with a little bit of gorgonzola cheese melted on top of it. Wow. I never heard of that. You just cut into it and it just melts in your mouth. My buddy Giovanni from Maiolo Montreal. Do the ad read. Go ahead. Dot com. 1800 Sherbrooke Street West, corner of St. Matthew, open seven days a week, breakfast, lunch, and supper, with lunch starting at 1130 and supper starting at 430. You can call him at 904-1900, by the way. this is impressive. He makes an incredible eggplant fritter, okay? Then, my favorite pasta dish, and I have several, but I really like risotto, mushroom risotto. Oh, I love a mushroom risotto. Dessert? And I have several of them, but, uh, you know, um, I would say a nice tiramisu. Yes. A nice tiramisu would be my, my dessert of choice. But I have to tell you, if I had to scrap this and you would forget about the whole entree and pasta dish and dessert and just say you have one thing before you actually go to the electric chair, (laughs) it would be a, uh, a sub. A sub? Yeah. An all dressed sub from Manzo's. Now, I have a, an affinity for uh, um, a, a sausage sub at Kitchen 73. I have an affinity for a sausage sub at, uh, at uh, Bocce Restaurant. I have an affinity for the steak sub at Times Square, um, among other places. Yeah. But the Manzo sub, they stack it so much that I don't have it all that often because if yeah. I do, like I think I'm going to die. Food but coma. knowing that I would die if I go to the electric chair, yeah. then at that point, out. I wouldn't have to worry about dying. I'm going to die anyway, right? It, it would be the all-dressed manzo sub. 
Now, it seems like you've put a lot of thought into this. Have you ever thought about starting a food blog or tweeting about your food recommendations? Because yeah. I feel like a lot of people would want to know about this. So I have a passion for food, not only eating it, <laughs> but there's certain things that I'm, I'm pretty good at. But you know, the, uh, the passion that I have is actually for sorbets and gelatos. Sorbets uh, are lighter. Yeah, sorbets, gelatos. I actually experiment with them. I have certain um, uh, products at home. I have machines and stuff like that. And I kind of, when I have free time, I kind of experiment on, on sorbets and gelatos. Cold coffees is another oh, passion yeah. that I have. And I would say, I would say that right now, I make the best lemon granita oh. and best cold coffee, not in the city, in the country. Wow. Yes. So I if I ever get fired, it's, there's yeah. a good chance that I open up an establishment and I try and sell my lemon granitas and my cold coffees. Uh, you and Myola Montreal, a little partnership, that would go... You know what? If I go into business, I'm going by myself. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Okay. I've had enough of working for other people. Yeah. I'm going to start You're whatever money boss. I make is going to go to me. That's it. <laughs> That's enough. how we roll, Nick. Yeah. Um, so obviously your kids play soccer at yeah. a really high level. You talk about them a lot on the show. Do I? I thought so. Really? Yeah. yeah. A lot of people do But I'm that. interested. I don't find that I talk that much about them, but I've heard that I do talk about them. But yeah. <laughs> I find it you know, interesting. If I, if I talk a lot about them, it's just because, uh, to tell you the truth, it's we spend so much time together. So, you know, one, um, you know, they're going to start school now. And one of them, uh, they both play every day after school because they're in a sport at program. But they both play at different ends of the city. Yeah. So uh, it's tough. and so one's on the field from one thirty to three o'clock, and the other one's on the field from three thirty to five. So when the when the first one finishes, so I go watch the first one right after the show at one o'clock. I go watch the first one who's on the field from one thirty to three. Then he ends up probably getting out at around three thirty, which then we got to drive to the other end of the city. Probably get there around four fifteen. I catch the final forty five minutes practice of my eldest. And then we both drive home together, uh, and we probably get home at around 6.30 <laughs> at night. So when my show actually finishes at 1, I'm actually getting home at around 6.30. That's unbelievable. Because I'm spending the afternoon with both boys watching so both their practices are you, and are you picking going to, them up. Are you going to gas up the car every two days? Uh, I, I, uh, I did 40,000 kilometers last year. Wow. Yeah, 40,000. That's impressive. Yeah, it's a lot. So obviously when your sons play at a high level – Yeah. The game itself is crazy, but I'm sure the parents could be a little crazier. Do you have any yeah. stories of crazy parents? Or look, we all we all get carried away. Uh, I, I would tend to think that I'm 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 normal. Um, you know, everyone calls for a, a penalty shot every now and then, or a foul, or a yellow card, or a red card. Or we'll say something. Um, it, it's you know, um, I, I just there's one thing that I used to do probably about 10 years ago that I noticed at one point you realize it doesn't work and I stopped doing it once I got educated with it and I would tell parents to not do it either and that is uh, and that is um, basically telling them what to do from the sidelines pass kick um, cross dribble run all that stuff uh, you do it because you want to try and help them but unintentionally you're actually hurting them because you're going to see that the biggest part about soccer is the, the ability to read what's going on around you. Uh, and, and basically it's, it's in the head, you, you yeah. know, it's, 
at one point being the bigger, stronger, faster, and all that stuff. Other others catch up. Others get big, strong, and fast too. It's uh, it's it's reading. It's knowing. It's taking a picture on the field and knowing what to do before you actually get the ball, so that when you get it, you don't waste any time yeah. and you do it. And by giving instructions as to what to do, you're not making them think. You're not making the child think on their own. And it's almost like, you know, they're going in, they're doing an exam, and you're giving them the answer. It's the same thing. They're not going to learn anything if you do that. So that's one thing that I stopped doing, which is good. Um, the one thing I have seen is like, look, it's amateur sports, unfortunately, brings up the worst in a lot of people. <laughs> yeah. and, uh, and, you know, the games, they should be for fun. And we lose sight of that. There's so much on the line, AAA qualifying, relegation, and all that stuff, promotion and relegation. Um, I saw a parent about a month ago uh, actually just chirp the referee for the entire game and at one point chirp the sideline official as well and then leave their seat in the stands to make their way down, to go to field level, to get within about 10 feet of the official and to chirp him and the referee at the same time to try and influence the way they call the game. I mean, that's that's just, that's that's setting the wrong example for the kids. I mean, uh, this, this trying to intimidate referees, intimidate other players, I've seen parents try and do that as well. Um, shouting matches, verbal disagreements, fights between parents. I mean, that's setting an awful example for the kids and that no one, no one should do. Well, then the kid takes that example and becomes a hothead and yells at the referee, yeah, yells yeah, at his teammates. Yeah. So it's a it's a cycle. Everyone's got to realize that it's just a game. Um, and when we do that, I think the kids are going to have a lot more fun. So on the show, uh, I remember you talked about or you asked me if you won the lottery, yeah. you won $5 million, what would be the first thing you'd do? And you said you'd buy a Tesla. That was the first thing you'd do. Yeah, I don't know if it's the first thing I do, but it, that could very well be. I don't. Okay, so, so I, I, I don't. You know, you know what? It would probably. It's the easy thing to do because yeah. you just go to a dealership right away yeah. and you order the vehicle, yeah. right? So yeah, because if you're going to build your own home, it's not the first thing yeah. you're going to do. It's going to yeah. take planning. You're going to have to meet right. with a lot of people. But uh, yeah, I would. Uh, I would do that. And uh, five million. We're talking yeah, about five, five million. million? Um, I definitely buy a Tesla truck. I'd buy that for sure. Uh, that would be number one. I'd definitely buy um, another home, uh, but um, that would be number two. I'd want to stay in LaSalle, I think. Really? I, yeah, I would. I would. Wow. Yeah, yeah, you just buy another home, fix it up. Yeah. Uh, I'd just like to have one with a bigger yard, so I, maybe I can have a pool in the back and stuff like that. But I, you know, the Tesla would probably be that. The Tesla in the home would be the biggest expenses. I'd be pretty uh, pretty grounded with it. Um, maybe no longer work five days a week. Maybe do it part-time for a couple of days a week. Uh, or maybe just buy a couple of um, – I'd, I'd buy some real estate. I'd buy block apartments yeah. to make sure that this way I'm not spending all my money because if I would spend my money, then the money has gone. This way, if I spend my money on block apartments, there's rents coming in, so I'm going to be okay. Uh, Ma, what I want to know is – Ideally, I should win this. I deserve to win $60 million. <laughs> I think, I, think I'm a, I think I'm a good guy, yeah. and you know what? I, I just I think it would be cool if a guy like me would win $60 million, which, by the way, we came close. My wife went for six for seven in Lotto Max wow. about a year and a half ago. $60 million was the prize. Nobody won it. 111 people actually hit the six for seven. My wife was one of them. Wow. 
Wow. Yeah. 60 million, we're probably not going to see you again, no? Uh, no, you wouldn't see me again. There's a good chance you wouldn't see me again. And if the, uh, if the bonus would have came in, the bonus was number 21. We had number 16 and number 9 came in. So if the bonus would have come in, it would have been 494000 But unfortunately, once again, we had 16. 9 was the final number. We went 6 for 7 uh, for a grand total of $5,712. My wife was ecstatic. She still is. She's the happiest person in the world. It didn't even pay for our credit card bill that came in that month, which was about $8,000. And I'm still in the biggest depression ever known to man. So back to Elon Musk and Tesla. Yeah. If there was one thing you could ask him, what would you ask him? Because I would ask him, yeah. when is that tunnel from Montreal to Toronto, that Hyperloop, takes you from Montreal to Toronto in 30 minutes? When yeah. is that going to get done? No, I would ask him when it's going to get done, the uh, the vehicle that actually drives for you the entire way because now there is like assistance yeah. right uh, i forget what the term is or whatever self-driving Ve- yeah vehicle assistance yeah. or road assistance or whatever it is that if you actually stay within uh your lanes that you're going straight and yeah. stuff like that or whatever but it's not foolproof at 100 percent. at least i don't think it is but i'd like to know when he will invent the 100 percent foolproof self-driving vehicle now would you get in a because when he does then at that point i'll feel pretty good about the kids driving one day because right now i'm pretty nervous about it yeah well i'm a good driver uh well i I didn't ask about you nick you're not my kid i thought you were taking a shot at young drivers yeah well no i'm not taking a shot at young drivers i just you know i'm a little bit worried about my kids getting behind the wheel one day (laughs) yeah so would you ever get in a car with no steering wheel like you've seen one of those models there yeah that's, that seems pretty risky right now, but I guess it's going to become the norm soon. Listen, if I'm told at 100% that nothing's going to happen, I would. But unless it's 100%, I wouldn't. All right. So moving to our last topic now on the Montreal Canadiens, a lot of talk on the Habs prospects. Now, this is the last topic or the last question? Last topic, last, last segment. Topic. So there's more questions. There's here. more questions. Am I being paid for this or what's the story here? <laughs> I'll pay you in uh, paninis. Okay. That's fine. Yeah. <laughs> so... Uh, a lot of talk on the Habs youngsters, Suzuki, Paling, or Caulfield. If you had to choose out of those three, yeah. which one is most ready to make the team? Uh, so Suzuki. Paling, without a doubt. Okay. Paling, without a doubt. Uh, he came in last year. He played a game, but he showed that he has – he's got the size. He's got the strength. He's got the, the physique for the job. He's got the maturity. Uh, he's got the knowledge of the all-round two-way game. So if you take a look at Cole Caulfield right away, obviously he's, he's undersized. And it's going to take him some time, and he would probably be able to struggle with that right off the bat at this stage of his career. Uh, Suzuki, uh, the same thing. Paling's the most ready, without a doubt. Doesn't mean he's got the highest ceiling. He's the most ready to come in right away. Um, the guy who probably has the highest ceiling, based on the amount of goals that he scores, or has scored so far with the U.S. National Development Program, yeah. is Caulfield. But there's a lot of guys that have put up numbers in junior hockey, and that doesn't translate to the National Hockey League. So you think that's overstated, the amount of goals that he scored? Like, he looks no, NHL I, I, ready, I, I, does I he not? No, I don't think it's overstated. Uh, scoring goals, we talked about soccer before, and now we're going to talk about hockey. Scoring goals is the hardest thing to do in soccer, and it's the hardest thing to do in hockey. And that's why the ones that do it in soccer and the ones that do it in hockey are the ones that are paid more than the ones that don't do it. It's not an easy thing to do. Some people say you're born with it. Some people say... That, uh, that th- those are things that you can't teach. Some say it's a God-given talent. Um, so the fact that he can score, there's no doubt in my mind that he'll score at the National Hockey League level. I've seen his shot. His shot is a National Hockey League shot. 
but whether he can put all of it together. And sometimes it's right place, right time. You need the right coach as well. Some coaches are looking for an all-round game. Other coaches are willing to live with certain liabilities. Um, I just say to whoever's going to coach him, he is who he is, and that's what's made him special. Let's just keep him that way. Do you think the fact that he's played with such a stacked team on that national development team, they had like five to six first-round picks, yeah. a level of competition, do you think that played a role too in why he lit the lamp? Uh, okay, so they're better than the opposition. That's fine. And he's playing with great players. That's fine. So why didn't the great players score more than him? That's a good point. Well, some of them aren't all goal scorers. That's what you just no, said. No, they it's aren't. Hard to find goal scorers. They aren't. But, you know, it's you can make a point that Jack Hughes helped Cole Caulfield, and you can make yeah, the argument that Cole Caulfield helped Jack Hughes. Jack Hughes is a centerman, right? Yeah. He's a playmaker, right? He passes the puck, correct? Yeah. He passes it to Caulfield. He passes it, Caulfield yeah. shoots, he scores, right? Yeah. If he passes to you or me and we don't score, is Jack Hughes putting up the points that he puts up? Is he as effective as he is? Is he going number one in the draft? Probably not. Yeah. So it's, look, they've helped each other out. A lot of talk about Shea Weber, who's going to be his partner. Yeah. How do you feel about Victor Mede starting there? Uh, I think the he's. Uh, I think he's not the ideal candidate. Uh, because I, in Messi's case, I, I take a look at, uh, I just think that less is more. Uh, I think that if Mete plays 15 minutes a game, he'll be more effective than if he plays 25 minutes a game. But clearly, I mean, for a guy who's going to be entering his third season in the National Hockey League, he played 49 games in year one. He played 71 games in year two. Uh, he picked up, uh, I think, seven points in year one. I think 13 points in year two. But anyway, this is going to be his third year. Yeah, we need it's, something. It's, if he, Last year, he didn't have the luxury of starting the year alongside Weber at the beginning because Weber was hurt. This year, if Weber goes into the season, and so far we're hearing that he's healthy, if he's healthy and he could start the season with him, I mean, that's going to the right school, right? You need a teacher. Which better teacher, you know, can you ask for than a guy like Weber? So it would be great for Mete to learn, but at the same time, I can also make an example that if he plays on a third pairing versus third lines and fourth lines, yeah. he'll look better by doing exactly. that as well. So. At the end of the day, he's got himself a great teacher, and it's only going to serve him well. Now to the goaltending, Carey yeah. Price going to need to be his best, especially now that they have Keith Kincaid, who yeah. 41 games last year, which is a good number of games. Okay. He had an 8-9-1 save percentage, mm -hmm. 336 goals against average. Okay. Does that concern you at all? Okay. Who was their backup goalie last year? Niemi. All right. How many points shy were they at making the playoffs? Two, I believe. How many games did Yemi start last year? Uh, I'm not sure. In the 30? Uh, about 17. I think Price started 16, but uh, 66 Price started. So I think Yemi started 16 or 17. All right? Kincaid has played 40 games a season in the last couple of seasons. Kincaid's a better backup goalie than Antti Yemi. Yeah. So with Kincaid, why would I be concerned? Well, I mean, he didn't put up good numbers with the Devils. Uh, I understand that. Or the Devils, the Soviet Union, or the, no, but the, the third Canadians or fourth worst team a, in the National Hockey League? The, the Canadians' defense is a little better than the Devils. No? Yeah, but the Devils it's were, not. I think, the third or fourth worst team in the National Hockey League yeah, last year. That's true. So he played on the third or fourth worst team in the National Hockey League last year that didn't have a very good defense either, right? And, uh, and so he put up those numbers that he put up. He's going to play on a better Canadians team. He's going to play behind Carey Price. He won't have to play 40, 41 games a season because Price will probably start 60 of them. So he's only going to play 22. In his case, less will be more as well on a better team. I'm not worried at all. Now, if you ask me, are the Canadians going to make the playoffs? That's something to worry about because as it stands right now, I'm not so sure the Canadians are a better team than they were a year ago. Yeah. You can make a case that they are because Weber's healthy to start the season. 
because by default they'll have a better power play because it's hard to imagine worse than second worst in the National Hockey League. Because they have a better backup, you can make that argument. And because Kakanyemi is going to be entering his second season and he'll be more ready. But I can also make the argument that it's not a, it's not a slam dunk that Kakanyemi will be better. He might suffer a sophomore jinx. I can make the argument that it's, it's not a slam dunk that Weber will be better because he's a year older. I can make the argument that they lost Andrew Shaw's goals. Uh, I can make the argument that a bunch of teams got better around them. So, you know, yeah. uh, at the end, they'll be what they were this year. They'll be right there in the last week of the season battling for a playoff spot. Now to the last question. You don't know this, but it's yeah. pretty funny. You actually blocked me on Twitter five years ago. Is that right? And can I tell you why? Yeah. So when Dustin Tokarski was playing with the uh, Canadians versus the Rangers in the playoffs, yeah. you made a joke okay. about how he couldn't stop a beach ball. Oh, yeah, 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 and yeah. I, I remember that. I added Dustin Tokarski. I didn't even say anything, and you blocked me. Okay, all right. So, so I was just re- – what, what was the reasoning? Okay, so you added Dustin Tokarski to what? To my tweet? Yeah. So okay. he would see it. Yeah, and you know what he did after? What? He blocked me. No. Yes. So because he blocked me – But he should be able to see the tweet. Okay, so you know what now? Hold on a second. Hold on a second. Because he blocked me, I blocked you. And I'm going to go to my phone right now, and I want to look up Dustin Tokarski right now, okay? I want to see if five years later, if he's still blocked. Oh, my okay? God. This Dustin is hilarious. Tukarski, guess what? He unblocked me. Wow. I guess that means I should unblock you. Exactly. Yeah. Are you still so blocked? We, yeah, I am still blocked. You're still blocked. That's why now, I could. So you interned for me for a couple of what? Yeah. For about six weeks or I so? I didn't want to say it on the And you air. don't want to say it. You were embarrassed that I blocked you or what? No, I thought it would be a a heated conversation, but it clearly wasn't. So why why would you do something like that for? Why would you want him to see it? Because if you're So I remember what I wrote. I wrote that uh, Tukarski, if he can fix his his glove and his blocker and his five-hole and uh, pretty much every area of his game, then it'll be a pretty decent goalie type of thing. Yeah, what's wrong with that? So you decided to just... It's the same thing if you would have said it on the air and he would have listened to it. He would have blocked you either way. Okay, I got it. Okay. So you chose that it was... You thought it was important that That you forward... That he see it. Okay. All right. I didn't say anything rude or anything. I yeah, just wanted I him to see the tweet. Okay. Okay. That's good. I don't think he was following me at the time. But anyway, he blocked me. He unblocked me. I'll unblock you too. Right. I'll unblock All you right. on, the condition, on the condition that this like 8,000 minute interview that we did, right? When I was told it was going to be like 10 minutes. Well, how when, <laughs> when I'm, I'm waiting here at the studio, about to leave on my vacation, and you're detaining me now for 8,000 questions in 8,000 minutes. If I'm you sorry, promise Tony. me that this interview is over, it's over. It's over. I will unblock you. <laughs> it's, it's over. over? <laughs> sorry about that. Tony. It's over, Thanks yes or no? Yes, it's over. Okay, Thank you're unblocked. Tony. All right. I appreciate Text it. Text me your Twitter handle. I will. Uh, hopefully, I didn't block your number right. uh, via text. <laughs> Cheers. Thanks.